I'm very excited that you guys are here. Uh, if you're brand new, my name is Danny, and I actually do work here. Um, it's been a little bit since I have spoke. Uh, I've been traveling, and I'm going to share a little bit about that with you guys today. But uh, someone in the back asked me before I got up if I still could do this, because it's been so long. <laughs> so, so we'll see, you know, because who knows. So uh, I want to pray for us, because uh, today is, is kind of a unique service. I, I love the unique ones. I love the ones that are sort of... Uh, as my team said, we don't really know how this is going to end up, and those are some of my favorites. So uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that the Lord just kind of prepares us, prepares me, and that he just does what he does to bring glory to himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, let's do that. Lord, we're here, and we're excited. We come from all different situations, all different backgrounds. We're walking in the door with all kinds of different uh, concerns and cares and worries and dreams and hopes. And God, how great is it that this is exactly where all those things should be brought? We ask, Lord, today that you would just make yourself felt, that you would make yourself experienced, that people would, would not just sit in a service for the next few minutes, but they would sit in, a, in, a, in an opportunity to gather in relationship with the God who made and designed them. Thank you for this place. Thank you for these people. We just lift this time up to you and you alone in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, today is, uh, is, is, is kind of me sharing with you about uh, the time that I've had away. And the reason for that is not just so that I can share, like, isn't this neat? Look at this trip that I took. The reason for that actually is a much deeper core uh, of value that I have that I want to give to you today. And that is quite simply this, that your testimony or the story about what God does with uh, your life is probably, if not, I would say is the most effective way in which you can show people who Christ is. So I'm not going to talk to you today about all the work that I did while overseas. What I want to talk to you today about is all the work that was done to me by the Holy Spirit while I was overseas. And, and I think there is, a, there is an incredible nuance and an incredible difference that a lot of Christians don't realize when they're sharing testimony when they're sharing uh, things in their life. Because I think what we imagine we're supposed to do is what you see me do every day, just on a smaller scale. You're supposed to prepare a thought, you're supposed to execute that thought with someone, and then you're supposed to come to a conclusion with whether or not they believe that, that, that what you said you know, you actually know, and then you're supposed to drive them to decision. And all of us, at one point in our lives, have been taught in Christendom that that's what we're supposed to do when we're sharing testimony. You're supposed to have a thought, share the thought, ask people what they think, and then drive them to decision. And I, I've, I've not bought into that for a long time. The most impactful people in my life are people who shared with me stuff that has happened to them that Christ has done in their world. And so sometimes we get caught up in the work instead of getting caught up in the worker. And today I want to share with you some stuff that was done to me by the Holy Spirit while I've been traveling the last few weeks. So let me start from the beginning. I was asked with somewhat short notice because of our discipleship program here called Rooted 
to travel with the church that manages Rooted in the United States to Germany. They asked me to go to Germany in order to share with that culture uh, the way in which this discipleship program interacts with cultures that are different because I shared quite openly with the church that's in California. We're not going to do Rooted how you do it because you're from California and, (laughs) well, we're not. So they then said, hey, we're taking this program to Germany, so why don't you come and have, bring that kind of same attitude, some of that same information, which is basically that Rooted works in the Northwest or in California in a very specific way, but this discipleship hookup may not work that way in Germany. Let's investigate together how it can connect. And Danny, since your church is doing it uh, in, a, in a way that's working, why don't you come and share what that looks like? And I said, yeah, that's fine. I felt really comfortable about that. I asked a very specific question. What are my responsibilities? Okay, what are my responsibilities? Because I still have some of that Christian mindset as well. I want to execute. I want to prepare a thought. I want to bring a message, and I want to drive people to conclusion. And I thought, okay, what are my responsibilities? And they gave me a list. I'm going to sit on a panel. I'm going to answer some questions. I'm going to create a a 25-minute talk based on this section of the curriculum. And I said, no problem. I can do all that. Matter of fact, that's exactly within my sweet spot. Clearly, the Holy Spirit wants me to go on this trip. (laughs) the day before I left the day before I left I get a text early in the morning from the man leading the trip and he says hey we've had a second church the biggest church in Cologne ask us to do Sunday morning for them but our group will be in Munich by that time would you be willing to go and speak on Sunday morning to the biggest church in Cologne both services and I of course immediately was like absolutely not this is another culture. I haven't even, I've never been to Germany. I, I don't, I haven't like had dreams and prophecies about like God's called me to go to the German people. Like I have no spiritual drive whatsoever to stand on stage and speak to 600 Germans. Something, and, and I asked what about? Whatever you want. What? That's the worst possible answer. So I said, yes. And my wife said, really? And I said, they're asking me to go and preach the gospel. That's what I, I'm supposed to do this, right? I'm, I tell the church all the time, we've got we to be a part of, of the kingdom bigger than us. And just because I'm not comfortable doesn't mean that, oh my God, I have so much anxiety right now. I have so much anxiety. And so I had, I had anticipatory anxiety literally the entire trip because this was the last day of the trip. The last day of the trip. So I, I went in, we did our panel, Boom, no problem. I went in, we did our small talk, you know, our 20 minutes that they asked, not a problem. We had dinners, we had consulting, we met with all kinds of leaders all throughout the country. We saw all kinds of incredible things. And the entire time I'm thinking in my head, I gotta fly to Cologne by myself at four o'clock in the morning on Sunday, get picked up, taken to a church, speak both services and flown back and I don't even know what I'm talking about. And I was, I was sick, much more sick, and I'm hoping none of the folks from Mariner's Church watch this message than they would have ever, I think, believed. I was bothered, and I was concerned, but I knew that this is where God had me, and so what I decided to do facing this unknown thing is from the very beginning of the trip, I decided to basically journal and take in what God was gonna do to me on this trip that I thought I was going to be doing the doing, right? I thought I was going to be doing the work. But I decided to take a step back and say, okay, God, what are you going to show me in this? Because I'm rarely in this spot. Stages don't really bother me. 
Stages of 600 Germans that don't speak English, though, bother me. Right? This is bothersome to me. And so I knew that I was being driven. I'm actually getting a little hot flush right now just thinking about it. I, I, was just, I just knew that God was going to do something. And so I decided to take really, really clear notes. And this is what the Lord gave me. And then I'm going to share with you towards the end of today what he did. The first thing that I want you to realize about this whole concept of walking out into the unknown is this is supposed to be part of our Christian walk. The reality that I've only felt this way like once in the last few years actually speaks to probably a problem that I'm a little too safe in my following of Jesus right now. Uh, This really truly is the first time in the last probably few years, even with the building that God so clearly designed for us, I didn't have as much anxiety or, or stress as I did about this particular ask with these particular people. And I want to just share with all of you that if you are walking in a place right now in your spiritual faith where you're feeling constantly challenged or where you related instantly to what I just shared, you're probably actually exactly where you're supposed to be. Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I like this verse because anytime that you read something like this, you got to slow down and realize if God's going to instruct you and teach you, that means you need instruction and you don't know what to do. If you know clearly where to go and how to do it, why would God instruct you and teach you in the way you should go? Why would he counsel you if you already had all the wisdom that you needed? And why is his eye upon you? Because you don't know where you are and you're going to get lost. So when you see these simple little verses and you're like, oh, that's cute. I should throw that on a bumper sticker on the back of my car. You need to realize that this is also a call to every once in a while step out into the unknown and trust that God will instruct you, that he will teach you and that his eye will always be upon you. Matthew 6, 31, 33 gets a little more specific. It says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, the basic things that cause us security? Or what shall we wear, for some of us in the room? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. God says even down to the base things, the things that you say, I can follow God as long as I have clothes, as long as I have finance, as long as I have security, then I can follow God wherever he wants. And God says, yeah, that's not even what you're supposed to be focused on. You're supposed to be focused on me. And sometimes I think where God calls us brings a little bit of tension between what we feel comfortable with and what he wants to do. Basically, being asked to speak in Germany with such short notice and not a lot of clarity was a little more unknown than I'm used to. I can do unknown as long as I know about it. (laughs) I can do unknown all the time as long as I know that it's going to be unknown. When you didn't know, and I didn't know that it was going to be so unknown, that's when it it, it began to creep in and fear began to to kind of reside and cloud around me. I want to share with you what I did in order to, uh, to push through this. The first thing I did, and I'll give you three points, I think you can write them down. I think you should write them down. First thing I did is I decided to see where I was. The very first thing that I made a commitment to do, I want to see where I was. I did not want, I was so nervous about being nervous and missing everything else in the trip that God was going to reveal to me. So I made a commitment that every day, although I was stressed about what was going to happen, I was going to see where I was. I was going to start with buildings. Because if you've ever been to Germany, I know a lot of you have, the most common thing that gets asked of me right now is, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? And there's a very specific reason why it's beautiful. I saw all kinds of different buildings. These are pictures that I personally took. 
Okay, this is downtown Munich. Uh, this is the inside one of the cathedrals that we were in. I've got 50 of these different pictures. Uh, this is uh, Wittenberg. This is all just different kinds of different things. But the place that actually caught my, my, my heart the most was a cathedral in Cologne, because we started off the week in Cologne, traveled through the country, then when everyone is in Munich, as I said, I was going to fly back to Cologne and speak. And this cathedral is known in English as the Gothic Cathedral of Cologne. And when I saw this cathedral, I'd never seen anything like it. It's the second biggest cathedral next to the Vatican in the world. This cathedral, okay, I want to read you this because I don't want to mess it up. The foundation stone of this cathedral was laid on August 15th, 1248, 1248, and was completed to the original plan with multiple breaks in 1880. This cathedral took 600 years to finish. At night, they light it up like this, because it's wow, as you've all said multiple times. See, here's the thing about seeing where I was that impacted me so deeply in the midst of all the other kind of anxiety that I was feeling. The thing that really impacted me about this is that Germany, for many, many, many years, had a cultural mentality of uh, something that I would call legacious living. Germany had made a decision a long time ago to participate in projects that no one generation could complete. And they talked about this as they toured this building. There were people whose entire lives were built, uh, were spent around building like one walled section of the church. One walled section of the church. Can you imagine this? Like I right now, I'm so excited to see Main Street finished. Like in my lifetime. (laughs) Could you imagine if I was like, I'm so excited because by the end of my life, the parking lot will be paved. Could you imagine the, 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 like, the commitment to the cause to know, and it'll be your kids that do the roof. <sighs> We're the roof generation? So much responsibility. And then it'll be our kids' kids that do all the electrical. And in 600 years, we will be able to have church in there, and it will be amazing. Like, it's not even within our cultural thinking to process that way. And yet in their story, because because of the way that the culture was built, they have hundreds of buildings that were built over 5, 6, 10, 15 generations. This is, in one sense, what it means to truly be the church. And so because of it, their, their, their landscape is littered with these kind of, and I looked this word up, legacious, right? Here's what's really funny about this, because I needed a really good verb, or it would be an adverb for legacy, is that right? And I looked it up, and do you know that, uh, that that's how words are made now? Like, people like me say, hey, you should make the word legacious, and then other people start talking in the forum about how that should be a word, and then someone says we should propose it to whoever does words. And now words get formed this way? I had no idea. But someone else a few years ago proposed this word. I just was clever enough to catch on that it should be a word. And now it's almost a word, according to the article that I read. Legacious. Take it home and start using it. Legacious living or living with legacy. That's what these people did. They lived with legacy in mind. And they did their section so that the next section uh, could be built upon theirs. I love this quote. I stole it from Alyssa. Um, legacy is planting seeds in a garden that you never get to see. 
by traveling through this country and being willing, in spite of all the stuff that was spinning around in my head about this coming talk that I was sure I was going to bomb, I wanted to see where I was, and because of that, I was able to see through every single one of these tours and trips that we got to go that we are part of something, not just physically, but spiritually, that is manifesting itself in our generation. And if we can uphold as a church the calling that we have, whether it be the cornerstone or the windows or the roof or whatever part of the local church God has given Kesed and you while you're here, then we can build something beyond ourselves that speaks to generations and generations and generations and generations. But it takes seeing where you are. It takes recognizing that your part may not be as complete and as applauded as you were hoping. You may just be a foundation person. I, I may be just a blip in a bookcase one day of the Kessid Church legacy. Can you imagine? Just a little silly picture of me 300 years from now and us and our story, and we came from a gym, those of you who were at the gym in our blue floor years, right? That'll be a chapter in our legacy book, the blue floor years, right? And then we move to Clark, and then Main Street, and then whatever else happens. But if we aren't willing to see where we are now, then our whole job could be all focused on completing it and getting to the end, and I think then we end up building mediocre ministries, mediocre buildings, Mediocre reaches for the kingdom, but if we can say for this generation, we're going to do our job to the best. We're going to build on what came before us, and I think we're doing a great job of that through the Main Street people and the blessing of that, and we're going to build out of that for the next generation. I think what God does with us will be mind-blowing, but it's going to require that we see it. Scripture actually commands that we think this way. 1 Timothy 6.6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's interesting to me that, that in God's economy, we actually have great gain when we're not driven by the quest for more gain. When we're not driven by the quest to put our names on the building. When we're just driven to serve him because of who he is and why he's using us. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But this, of course, is not limited to money. It also includes godly character and qualities like integrity and trustworthiness. We are building a legacy here in our church of give it all away. I've had children tell me that before here. Well, it's not ours anyway, Pastor Danny. What do we care? And I'm like, well, that's not quite as far as I was hoping. We still got to care. <laughs> but at the end of the day, they are right. We're going to end up passing it all away and giving it all away. The question for me, to, really, that I came up with that I wrote down when I during the trip that I wanted to see where I was, was this. Am I building for me, for others, or for him? Are you building for you, for others, or for him? And I mean building your family, building your portfolio, building your church community. Are you building anything that you're doing for you, for others, or for him? Because according to the Bible, even if you're building your cupboard full of food, for anything other than him, then you have a wrong motive. According to the Bible, if you're building your closet of clothing for anything other than him, then you have a wrong motive. He is our entire reason. He is our compass and our filter. And I think if we can see that wherever we are, then we can build something that lasts beyond us. The second thing that I worked at doing, and this was harder for those of you who know me than I, am, than I may let on, was I wanted to be present and available. I wanted to be present and available. I wanted to learn to do this thing I heard an older gentleman tell me, which is listen with my time. 
Listen with my time. Don't just listen with your ears. Listen with your time. Uh, so I wanted to do that. I just didn't want to hear from people about how we could help them strengthen their church community or different strategies for developing uh, their, their organization or their outreach or their discipleship program. I really wanted to be present and spend as much time before and after with people, seeing where I was and just being present. This is such a, this is such a, I, I, I'll be honest, if you're like 22, 23 years old, I don't even know if you'll connect with this. Uh, because it really seems to be something that comes after time has worn you down a little bit and you've realized how fast things have gone by. Is anybody else just blown away it's almost Thanksgiving? Right, if you're 22, you're probably not. Just, I'm just throwing it out there and I'm not trying to be, you know, generationally unsensitive. I'm just saying, if you're 22, you're like, man, it's almost Thanksgiving, I gotta save up. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's almost Thanksgiving and Christmas? Didn't we just do New Year's? I can't imagine those of you who are twice as old as me, you must just feel like time travelers. I mean, seriously, you just go, poof, poof. it just, it's so fast. It's unbelievable, and I'm, and I'm my age. So, so, and I sensitively, again, say that, because the reality is that when you really listen with your time, you can't get over it, can you? Let it soak in. Are you done? Yeah? Okay. I know. When you listen with your time and really slow in, for me, I'm learning, I hear things that I wouldn't have heard if I hadn't been as present as I would have liked to have been. In Germany, I discovered something consistently in all the groups that I met that, was, that not only spoke to my heart, it also broke my heart, and it also made me really thankful that I was trying so hard to listen with my time. And one of the themes in Germany that I came across from a spiritual perspective, uh, let me give you context real quick. The biggest church in all of Germany is about a 2,500-person uh, church, Protestant church. The Catholic church, of course, is very large in Germany, but there's not hardly any attendance. They're actually held in things like the Gothic Cathedral and some of these other things. I actually went to a Catholic service, uh, and uh, there were maybe 35, 40 people in the entire massive building. Uh, It's just more of a cultural system and structure. Now, the Protestant church, the church that that we're kind of a part of, right, The, 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 the whole movement is struggling so much to take off And this was hard to pick out at first. I couldn't figure it out until finally someone kind of said it, and I was listening with my time, and I said, tell me more. And they could tell I was really sensitive about what they were about to share, but this is what they said. They said, Danny, what you need to understand about this place, and I backed this up four or five different times before I shared it because I want to be very careful and not just share one person's opinion. This was multiple cities, uh, multiple times. We did eight flights in eight days while in Germany. So we did, we covered multiple cities, and I heard this in almost every single city. Here's the thing you have to realize about Germans and the Christian movement. We don't like getting caught up in charismatic leadership. And it was all referred to World War II. It was all referred to what happened with the regime and what happened with with Hitler and the drive and all those things, stuff that I never thought I could even mention in Germany. I had in-depth conversations about because what they said and let this soak in for just a second is that we are missing our spiritual great-grandfathers we are missing an entire generation of people that that in their opinions as this new generation got caught up in a movement that did so much damage to the world that now people who are who are of you know, the next generation are trying to figure out who am I because I can't go to the generation in front of me. There's, there's hardly any of them around, first off. And second, if there were, they carry so much shame 
for the, the being caught up and being sold and being a part of this thing that happened that we don't really want to cause them more shame by asking them to give us wisdom. So we're now 40, 50, 60 years old, 65 years old, trying to just figure it out. They said what we need are more spiritual grandfathers. And we know at 40 years old, we are those grandfathers. Because the church doesn't, the people of that other generation don't want to get caught up in movements. They don't want to get caught up in a leader on stage who goes, follow me. And they're like, oh, we did that once. It was profound. All because of listening with my time, I was able to talk to these people about what they feel and, and how, they, I mean, I can't tell you how many people were like, that's not my generation. That had nothing to do with me. And I'm like, I didn't, I never said it did. I just said, here's a way to grow the church. Yeah, but that's one guy on stage telling everybody to come and see me. And mm. If I had not been able to listen with my time, I would have missed that. I would have, I would have not been able then to address that through the Holy Spirit. There was a lot of really cool conversations and encouragement that happened about about the way God moves with people who know they're broken, about the way God creates his own legacy, about the way God wants to be the father versus like, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We read that here in America and we're like, don't talk condescending to me. Fear not, little flock. If anything, I've got a big flock, all right? <laughs> right, it's very American of us. In Germany, they hear that verse. Fear not, little flock. I'll be the father. And I'll be, it'll be my good pleasure, God says, to give you the kingdom. And I was able to be a part of that, not do any great work with it, but it impacted me about how thankful I am to be where I am and, and, and live where I live, but also how wonderful it is when you can see where you are and then be present to hear what other people are walking through and dealing with. But seeing where you are is sometimes not that easy. As a matter of fact, I would say it's easier on a spiritual level than it is on a physical level. And I want to just tell you this little story. <laughs> so the trip went off without a hitch, except for Danny's inside hidden anticipatory anxiety. I was seeing where I was, and I was listening with my time. I was engaged in German culture. I was engaged in accomplishing my goals that they had given me. And the time came for me to fly to Cologne from Munich very, very early Sunday morning. I had to get up at 3.15 or 3.30 to catch a, a cab to the airport by myself and get on a plane to fly to Cologne to be picked up to speak. And I was still very much so thinking about being present with my time. And so, and so I got in the cab, and I remember thinking, I'm in, I'm in uh, Munich right now in a cab by myself going to get on a plane to fly to Cologne to speak to a church about a topic I still don't know. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to be present. No matter what happens, I'm going to be present. So I started talking to the cab driver. How you doing? Which isn't that common of a thing in Germany. And he's like, okay. And I said, what's your name? And he told me. And then he basically said something along the lines of, please be quiet. So I said, okay. So I was quiet for the other half hour, all the way to the trip. And I got to the airport. I got to the airport. And I went to my gate, and there were uh, two other people at the gate except for the front lady at the counter. And I immediately thought I was at the wrong gate. And I walked up, and I said, I'm, I, I, I'm an hour early. Am I at the wrong gate? And she goes, no, um, it's just you and these two other people. And I said, like, on the whole plane? It's a big plane. This isn't a prop plane. 
And she goes, yeah, it's really weird. And I said, okay. So she kind of gathered us all up. She goes, well, it's just you guys on the whole plane. And I decided to be present. And I was like, okay, uh, how you doing? How you doing? My name's Danny. My name, you know, and I'm introducing myself. We get on the plane and we're, we're, we all decide to sit in our assigned seats because it was just weird to sit wherever you want. But, but literally as we got on the plane, the captain came out and I'm not lying. He came out with the stewardess and he had coffee with us. He's like, how you guys doing? It's just us. <laughs> Five of us on the whole plane. And I said, you don't believe me. This is a picture of me that morning <laughs> and my steward, my, my flight attendant behind me. Go ahead and show me. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the whole plane. So we sat in our seats, and it happened to be there was another guy that sat across the aisle. And remember, in my head, I just made a commitment in the cab to stay present with my time, listening with my time. And so I'm on the plane. I engaged with the captain. thought that was pretty cool. He said, well, we're about to take off. And the flight attendant walks up before takeoff and says, do you want anything to eat or drink? I didn't even think about it. And I go, yeah, I'll have a coffee. He gives me a coffee. Have you ever had a full coffee during takeoff on a plane? It's <laughs> it's some work, right? I was like, this is not happening, right? So, so I get on this plane, and it, it, it takes off, and then, and then uh, uh, I'm sorry, let me back up. Right before we took off, I have my coffee, and the flight attendant admits openly this is going to be awkward and confesses that he still has to do the security belt check and the exit. So he stands two feet from me and the other guy on the plane because the other lady decided to take first class. But by this time, it was only him and me, and I didn't want to leave him, and the flight attendant had started, so I thought, that's fine, I'll fly here. So he pulls out his belt, and he looks at both of us, and I'm talking like here to here, and, and they start playing the recording, and he starts doing the full exit procedure to just two of us, and it's a lot of eye contact. <laughs> I mean, a lot of eye contact, but I've just made a commitment in the cab to be fully present. And so I'm looking at him, and I look over at the other guy, and he's looking at him, and the gentleman's like, lock your seat. Exits are right here. How you doing? You know, I mean, it's super strange. <laughs> this is true story. This gentleman gets so uncomfortable. He's looking at me, and he's looking at him, and it's just us, and this guy's giggling, and I'm just like, okay, stay present. I'm going to be fully present. This man literally pretends to go to sleep. He goes, <sighs> <laughs> he just goes out and I was like not fair that is not fair because I'm by myself now and it, so this guy realizes well he's good so it's just him and me have you ever had a flight attendant do the entire three minute thing just you and you're the only guy on a plane but I engaged every single second of it I was like really really under my seat is a flotation device? Really? And it was so difficult. It was so difficult. I was exhausted by the end. The flight attendant literally did the entire flight leaning over the front of my seat asking me if I wanted anything. You want anything yet? No. Talk to him. I think he's asleep. He is not asleep. He is not asleep. Did that the entire flight. Was present with Patrick, my flight attendant. And, uh, and landed, and landed in, in, uh, in Cologne. So the question for this one is, where in your life are you pretending to be asleep? Where in your life, when you listen with your time, when you listen with your time, do you really suddenly realize there's return eye contact or a, a huge need you didn't know, and so you just can't handle it? It's too hard to engage, and so you just pretend to be asleep. I would challenge that there's many people in this room who if you really listened with your time, if you were really, really present to hear the themes inside the culture of your life, we need grandfathers. 
We need spiritual input. There's kind of a threat of shame throughout our family's culture. Every time we get together for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'm always reminded of the fact of how broken our family is. Whatever it is, if you were to see where you were and to listen with your time, it's much easier said than done because once you see it, even the the flight attendant and the eye contact, all of those things, I wanted to run away. I I can only imagine some of the Thanksgivings that are coming. And how many of you pretend to be asleep? Some of you probably actually physically pretend to be asleep. You're like, oh, hey, good morning. I've already been. I'm just going to wait for it to roll over. What if this Thanksgiving was different? What if you engaged inside your familial culture? What if you engaged inside your story? What if you recognized what was? Not because you can fix it, because you can't. I can't fix the stuff I learned in Germany. But was I blessed by being able to be present with those people and speak over them little tiny verses like fear not little flock? Who are you blessing this holiday season? Or who are you trying to pretend to be asleep? And let it be uncomfortable. Let it be, let it be what it is. But if you can be fully present and you can listen with your time, I believe you can see and hear things you've never seen before. Where in your life are you asleep? This really checked me, and I'm not going to share with you some areas in my life. I know that I've been pretending to be asleep. I've been that man in some really important areas in my life. And so I've been trying, actually just since the week I've been back, to be more awake, and it's uncomfortable. But I feel like I want to see where I am, and I want to listen with my time, and I want to live my life like the psalmist says, awakened to what God wants to do with my life. Eventually, we land in Cologne, and I was nervous because it was game day. This gentleman picks me up at the airport, drives me to breakfast. At breakfast, they basically asked me, what do I want to share about? I shared with them a thought that I had had. Actually, it was a small portion of a, of a sermon that I had shared here in this church about a year and a half ago. And I said, I want to take a risk. And they said, I've never heard of that. And I thought, that's not a good sign. And I said, but the story, it's right here on the, on the sermon. And they go, yeah, I don't know anything about this. And, and remember, these people don't know me. And I was sort of just vouched for by the guy who went on the trip. And they were like, Okay. And I was like, oh, oh, I have so much anxiety right now. And he goes, by the way, I'm going to be translating everything you say because not everyone in the room can speak English. So you'll, you'll speak and then, and then I'll speak. And then you'll speak and I'll speak. And I thought, awesome. And so I walk into this church that's much larger than I thought it would be. It's held in the theater. And I realize instantly that almost everyone in the room is like 25 years old and under. Yeah, and I'm barely older than that, so I thought that's going to be great, so I'm, I'm connecting right away. Uh, there are a few older generation people, that generation that God has really begun to, to bring back, but, but for the most part, it's a pretty young and, and hip church. And so I stood on the stage, and they introduced me after having incredible worship and tons of energy and all these different things, and I stood up, and I shared with them a story that some of you will recognize and some of you won't that I'm going to share with you right now. <laughs> I asked them first off if they knew who Vera Brandis was. And uh, he said in German, do you know who Vera Brandis is? And not a soul in the room raised raised their hand. I said, Vera Brandis was the youngest concert promoter in Germany in 1975. So instantly I can see that some people are leaning forward because I'm speaking about something in Germany. I said, Vera Brandis wanted to bring special concerts to a special part of the country And uh, I don't know if any of you in here are jazz fans, I said, to a German audience. 
I, I said, but Vera was. And Vera decided in 1975 to bring, to bring an improvisational jazz pianist to Germany to play for a German audience. It's an unheard of thing. Vera was from Cologne. And the room went silent. Even the interpreter was waiting for me to clarify. Cologne. And he said Vera was from Cologne in German. And I knew at that point the Holy Spirit was like, it was like he, it was like he was the maestro and he went, tick, tick, tick. It was like, it was amazing. And this is why it was amazing. Because the lesson, the great deep, 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 deep lesson inside this is that when you lean in, and that's the phrase I want to give you for my third and final point, when you just lean in and it is all you have and you're either going to look you're either going to look like a fool or God's going to look like an incredible, incredible, uh, you know, creator that he is. I'll tell you what, when you feel God catch you as you lean in, it is an exciting, exciting feeling. And instantly as I leaned in to this place with this audience and asked them if they knew this person and mentioned the word cologne, the Holy Spirit had the room. It didn't matter what language they spoke. It didn't matter what age they were. They were locked into what God was about to show them. I said to them, Vera, she uh, was meeting Keith on the day of the concert. She had sold 1,200 tickets. As a matter of fact, the concert was held at the Cologne Opera House, which was like less than half a mile from where I was speaking. They all knew the Cologne Opera House. 1,200 tickets had been sold, and Vera was right around your guys' age. Interesting tie-in. And when Keith showed up, with his manager, it was a stormy, rainy, rainy day, and he walked in and shook off the rain, and he walked into the auditorium on the stage, and he saw a very small, what looked to be a very worn piano. He pulled over Vera, and he said to her, where's my piano? And she said, what do you mean? And she had to go get the people that were helping her set up, and they very nonchalantly said, oh, your piano's been caught in the storm, so you have to use this one. Now, Keith is an improvisational pianist, meaning that he doesn't know what he's going to play before he plays it, but he at least needs a functioning piano. And so Keith shares the story, and Vera also shares the story, that he ran his hands across the piano and realized like a third of the black keys were stuck altogether. The keys that did work were super quiet and weren't loud enough to fill a room of this size, and the piano was completely and almost, uh, I mean, it was just completely out of tune, covered in dust, and so forth. There was a practice piano, X-Pack practice piano from storage. And he said, I'm not playing here, and he walked out. Vera made a few phone calls, was able to get a piano tuner to come down during the middle of the night and tune the broken piano. She went out to Keith's car, and he tells the story that she tapped on his window in the rain, this, like, 22-year-old girl, and she said, I have 1,200 people showing up. This is one of my first concerts please, please, please just come and play the piano. And Keith said, I can't play the piano. The piano, Vera, is unplayable. And she said, Keith, just, just come and do the best that you can then. And so Keith looked at her and her desire to be more, this German girl's desire to be more, and he said, only for you. And so the story goes that Keith Jarrett walked in after the piano had been tuned just before the concert had started and memorized all of the broken keys across the piano. And when it was time to play the concert, he sat down, the room went silent, 
Okay, let's, let's do this now. This is what I did for them in Germany, and this is what I'll do for you. All the lights were lowered. Okay, all the lights were lowered. Keith walks on stage. <laughs> Can you imagine this? On this little tiny broken piano. And he begins to play. And this is the live recording of that song. upper registers and every single broken key. Because the piano was so quiet, he had to recreate the song with these huge repetitive riffs. You heard him towards the end, he was literally standing up, pounding on the piano, trying to get the volume up into the far corners. And he began to sing with the piano. And what happened that night became known as the Colm Concert. And this album that was recorded over the next 60 minutes on this unplayable piano became the best-selling piano album in history and the best-selling solo jazz album in history. Keith Jarrett was handed a mess, and he embraced that mess and its sore. Now, as the music faded out, these German people realized I just taught them something about Cologne they had never heard of before. People started crying. And so I sat in that moment with my interpreter and I said, I recognize that for many of you, because of your legacy, you think maybe your life and the church you're building is an unplayable piano. You feel like maybe God... He just can't make it work with what I've been given. I mean, I have no grandfathers. I have no example. My, my nation is thought of this way amongst other nations. I, I'm, I'm this person. I'm this place. I'm this thing. And I said, but that's not what God sees here. 
God is the master and he wants to make beautiful music with your life and my life. He is the one who gives. He is the one who heals. And he is the one who wants to use you now. I prayed for them. I sat down. And they worshiped. 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 At the end, I was hugged by the church as if I was their pastor. As if I was attending here. There were multiple generations of people that ended up coming forward. People I didn't realize that were from the the older generation that came forward and who don't speak near as good of English as the next generation who said to me, uh, almost with childlike English, as they tried to think of the words, one gentleman said, big, large, just, just, just kind of vintage-looking German man. I mean, just, I mean, he walked up and I thought, wow, like you're 70 years old and just thick German accent. And he says to me with tears in his eyes, I am, and he sat there and I wanted to know so badly what the word was. And he scratched his head and he, it came to him and he said, free. <laughs> And then he gave me this hug. And I thought, there's some grandfathers here. There's some grandfathers here. God's planting grandfathers here. God's building honor here. God's putting forth a generation of love here. And I left there. And they drove me back to my plane. (laughs) And I sat, this time with a lot more people. (laughs) Same guy. No, no. But same, sat, and I drove all the way back, and I was so emotional that God was so willing to connect people from the other side of the, the planet, truly, through his Holy Spirit to make himself known that it just blew my mind that if we can be a church who embraces things like this, if we can be a church that's, that's willing to walk out these things, to see where we are, to listen with our time, and absolutely to lean in to the truth that God wants to use us, even if we are full of fear and anxiety, then I believe like the culture I was in, he will use your life, your unplayable life, and he will make incredible music to do incredible things. And then your only job, and this is how we're going to close as the worship team comes out. This is your only job, church, is to let it impact you in such a way that you've got to share it with other people like I did. You don't need to share about how great church work you do or, or, or how you helped people. What you share is how God helped you and how God transformed you, and how God impacted you. You share in your heart with other people what God is unveiling in you, what he's tearing down in you, what he's unpacking in you. And when you do that, people then genuinely will get caught up in your life story, in your song. And then from that place, they will want to know your God. See, I was reminded in Germany that we are part of this bigger church. And we're not part of it to do the work of God. God does the work of God. We're a part of it to be blessed by the work of God. That's why we as a church 
are moving downtown. That's why we as a church are going into an area. Do you know the more time I've spent downtown, the more people have told me, man, this is going to be a hard area to do a church. Have you realized what's been going on down here lately? I mean, there's a lot of different stuff going on downtown, a lot of movements, a lot of, a lot of groups rising up, a lot, of, a lot of things going on, and you guys are going to come down and try to preach Jesus to them? And I thought, yeah, you're right. I got a little bit of anxiety about it. I thought maybe we're better off just a suburban church on 25 acres out in the middle of the woods somewhere. Instead, you want to be downtown? It's like where all the people are. (laughs) But when you really start to think about it, you go, but God, you brought us here. You did this to us. You led us. You gave us this unplayable situation and made beautiful music. And your song will ring through downtown because of people who are willing to see where they are. We're going to be down there, and you're going to be part of it. People who are willing to listen with their time. It's going to take more than just writing checks, although I hope we keep doing that. It's going to take us leaning in, and that was that thing, leaning in and saying, okay, God, I don't know what I'm going to do in this room, but I know you love these people. I know you're above and beyond and behind and beneath. And so I'm going to lean forward. I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to share with them God loves you. And then you're going to just make yourself known throughout the room. So I don't know what you're dealing with in your life, but I know there's a place in Vancouver that this is what we're going to be about. I want to be present with you in whatever you're dealing with. And so do other people here. I want to walk with you through difficult things as a community and recognize it's not going to be pretty. I want to be a church that is willing to engage on a level that that I don't know if I've seen in a very long time because it costs so much to do so. I want to lean in to the Holy Spirit I want to, as the song says, come to his altar. I want to proclaim him worthy. I want to lift him up. And I want to trust that whatever happens in the end, we're going to build something beyond ourselves. We're going to give it all away. And God is going to look at us and say, well done, Kesson. Well done, grandfather and mother and friend. Well done, my children because you were willing to see and be and lean. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know there's people in this room right now. As we started the service, I felt that strong presence that so many are coming from so many different directions and so many different needs and desires. And Lord, I know that's still real. I ask that in this room that you would just meet those needs, that you would take the next few minutes as we contemplate what was shared today. And then people would ask, where are they sleeping in their lives? Where are they leaning away from? Where are they not listening? What are they not seeing? And God, as those things happen, as those things are revealed, may they bring them to the altar of your love. May you receive them and exchange all that anxiety and all that fear and all that unknown for you who make a way for you who know the deepest depths of our hearts for you 
who desire nothing more than to bless us and guide us and walk with us. Who keep your eyes upon us. And we just take that time now. Amen.